time for us to look at our scripture that can be found on the back of the bulletin. 1 Corinthians 14, 26 through 40. Uh, as we are coming to the close in the section of 1 Corinthians where we be talking about spiritual gifts and uh, specifically the gifts of prophecy and speaking in tongues. So let's finish strong. Um, this is what it says. Paul says, what then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at the most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirit of prophets are subject to prophets, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the church of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. We're going to talk about that. <laughs> or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones that is reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But all things should be done decently and in order. The word of the Lord. I don't know if you have dealt with the specter of cancer before in your life. Perhaps you've had it yourself. Perhaps you have it yourself. Cancer is a, uh, it's a, a, a malady that uh, hits all of us in some way, shape, or form, right? Either ourselves or someone that we know. But what really is cancer? This is where the doctors perk up because they want to hear my translation. Cancer is fundamentally a disease of tissue growth regulation. See, for a normal cell to transform into a cancer cell, the genes that regulate the cell growth and differentiation of the cells must be altered by some sort of mutation. And normally it looks something like this. There are two types of genes in your cells. One are called oncogenes. And these are the genes that promote cell growth and reproduction. And they're tumor suppressor genes, and these are the genes that inhibit cell division and the continued life of cells. In other words, cells are supposed to reproduce themselves, but in a healthy way. And at a certain time, they are supposed to die off. But what happens is sometimes the oncogenes, they go crazy. They start to reproduce and reproduce, but they're reproducing defective cells and reproducing at a rate that they shouldn't. They go crazy. They start to take up all of the resources around them. And the tumor suppressor genes that are supposed to stop them, that are supposed to kill them at their proper time, are somehow inhibited from using their skills, if you will, regulating the growth and the health of the cell. 
See, this is what happens when our in our physical body when things go awry. And what Paul has really been talking about in this letter to the Corinthians are maladies in the spiritual body. For the church is a spiritual body, right? A, 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 a membership of a variety of organisms that have come together spiritually. We see that there is an oncogenic explosion of people who are, rather than using their gifts in the right way, have sort of gone crazy, that are seeking the limelight, using their gifts as a, a stepping stone to prominence in the church. We also see that there are those whose gifts are being suppressed that aren't using what they are supposed to uh, to help promote the health of the body. That was is what is happening in 1 Corinthians, and it's what happens in churches still today. So we need to examine our own spiritual body. How healthy are we? Are we submitting to the work of the Spirit? Meaning, are we being used by him in the correct way? And are we suppressing those who should be helping and encouraging us toward help? So we're going to look at two things. Number one, we need to examine how does the Spirit work in the lives of its people? And then number two, we need to examine the question, who is it that the Spirit works through? So point number one, how the Spirit works. Remember that Jesus Christ came to give us life and life to the full. And he tells us that life is in the spirit. The spirit gives life, he said. The flesh counts for nothing. And as Christ has ascended to heaven and poured out his spirit, this resurrection life has begun in his people. Our fundamental identity has been changed, if you remember, from a cockroach to a butterfly in the caterpillar stage as we have the first fruits of the Spirit. And God is congregating his people, bringing them together. And each of us who are Christians have the Holy Spirit that manifests itself in us in different ways for the purpose of building up the church. First Corinthians 12, 7 says, Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit, not just the Spirit, we all have the Spirit, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And that's all sorts of gifts that we have for the building of the church. Serving, leading, encouraging, teaching. The list goes on and on. It's literally endless. But these Corinthians have turned these gifts that God has given them to build the church into a popularity contest. It's a way for them to show their spiritual maturity rather than edifying the group. And in particular, the issues they're dealing with are those who are using tongues and prophecies as, as a stepping stone to greatness. We see in the book, in uh, Pentecost, the scripture that was read earlier, that God prophesied through Joel that in the last days that he would pour out his spirit, that men and women, sons and daughters, would prophesy. And these last days have begun. We have not yet seen wonders in the heavens above and smoke and blood and so on. But the last days are not done yet, are they? So we see that prophecy and tongues were part of the early church service. Now the question we have to ask is, why not now? 
Well, I answered that, but to reiterate, you must remember that God was setting the foundation for the church. Remember, the foundation was built on the apostles and the prophets. And so the service that people participated in in Corinth looked a little bit different than the service that we're having now. Not that much different, but certainly different. So why did the service look different? Why did they not do exactly what we did? Read, read uh, something from the scripture, uh, sing some uh, spiritual songs, and then have a pastor get up and expound uh, from the Bible. And the answer is because they didn't have the Bible yet. The Bible was in the process of being written. They had the Old Testament, right? But only the books of Galatians, excuse me, the letters to the Galatians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, and the letter from uh, James were really the only things written. 1st Corinthians was written around 53 to 55 AD. So the first gospel, the gospel of Mark, was being written right around that time. And so what they had was the teaching from Paul that he had given them. Paul who received the revelation of the gospel from Jesus Christ directly and had already met with the apostles twice and heard from them the teachings of Jesus and passed them along. But they didn't have the full compendium of scriptures like we did. And so we see in this early church the Spirit stepping in and providing support in a very immediate way through prophecy, through things like miracles, for instance. To be an apostle, for instance, you had to be able to perform miracles. That was one of the requirements. I'm a pastor in the church, yet I have never, ever performed a miracle, aside from perhaps marrying my wife. That was certainly a miracle. Now that the gospel has been codified into the scriptures, it, it needs no miraculous accompaniment. It is the miracle itself. But yet, we see back then, the Holy Spirit working in the way to establish the foundations of the church. Now, why am I saying this? Because I'm setting the context for what Paul is talking about here. See, we don't really have to deal with the question of prophets and prophesying and in order and instructions for the church. Those instructions may not apply directly. But the reasoning behind the instructions and how they are to act as a church most certainly apply directly to us. So let's try to discern that because the Holy Spirit continues to work now as much as he did back then. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 26, what then, brothers? And when he's saying brothers, he's not just talking to the males, he's talking to the entire church. Kind of that's just the way that the the, uh, kind of like when we say, what now, guys, guys and girls, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things do, be done for the building up. So Paul is giving this, this what then is kind of like a, a Greek for a hypothetical. Suppose when you come together is what he's saying. And so he's been speaking about prophecy in tongues, right? And now he says, suppose you come together and each one has a hymn. Hymn is a worship song or a composition. We're not exactly sure. Or it could have been a prayer. A lesson. A lesson is a, 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 
a teaching from Scripture. This is something that was prepared and sustained, someone who had created something. Most likely the elder, uh, not most likely, the elder or a pastor. A revelation. Hey, this is prophecy. God has given you something right then and there, a word from God. Or a tongue. We've already taught uh, you that uh, speaking in tongues is speaking to God in a language, in a, not a human language. Or an interpretation of that tongue. The ability to translate that heavenly language into the language that people could understand. Paul is saying, suppose that you have people who want to bring all of these different elements into the service. And by the way, this list is not exhaustive. And he's speaking about men and women. He's saying whatever it is that is brought into this service, whether a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, or a tongue, the purpose of it is to be for building up. Let nothing come into the service that does not build up and strengthen and edify the church. See, the reason he's saying that is because in Corinth, there were people who were getting up and were abusing this. We're using it as an excuse to showcase their spiritual gift. They were making church about them. And Paul wishes to thwart those expression of spiritual gifts that only build up the individual and to encourage those gifts that edify the entire community. So Paul says in verse 27, if any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at the most three. And each in turn, and let someone interpret. See, it's like the Corinthians were stepping over each other to speak in terms of tongues, but Paul limits it to, at the most, three. And only if someone could interpret. But if no one is able to interpret, verse 28, let each of them keep silent and speak only to himself and to God. Notice Paul is communicating order. Everyone speaking in turn. He is assuming and communicating you have the ability to be in control of what it is that you are doing. He's not assuming, he knows. But notice he goes on. And prophecy is different. Clearly prophecy in the, Old in the New Testament in the Church of Corinth was a substantial part of the early church service. He says, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. This word weigh means to evaluate carefully. And the others he's speaking of is the whole church. Now keep in mind, the church does have elders. And the elders, one of their qualifications and characteristics is to watch over and guard the church. They're sort of the final break, if you will. But the whole church is to evaluate what is being said See, the New Testament prophet was not the same as the Old Testament prophet. The Old Testament prophet was, was an office, one who had the ability to say, thus saith the Lord, and to speak uh, without error. People didn't really, uh, they could evaluate the prophet based on if what he said came to pass or not, but they couldn't, uh, these words were meant to be taken as the Lord was speaking. But we see here in the New Testament church that this prophecy is to be evaluated. Prophecy was not as much an office in the New Testament 
as a function. Where you have Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel, who, uh, not Daniel, Isaiah and Jeremiah, who were prophets for their life when they were called. This is something that would come upon a person that they would go ahead and prophesy, maybe would not ever prophesy again. So prophecy is, that's why in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, Paul says to pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. That you may, God may use you, if you will, to prophesy. Notice he says, let two or three speak, okay, in others' way. That what the prophets have said invites appraisal and discussion. The first Thessalonians 5.20 says, do not despise prophecies, but test everything and hold fast to the good. He's speaking to everyone in the church. Even Paul, as he writes this letter several times, and he's an apostle, not a prophet, but says, I speak as to sensible people in 1 Corinthians 10, 15. Judge for yourselves what I say. See, there's some in the congregation in, in Corinth who are saying, my words are infallible. I am an Old Testament prophet. You must listen to me and do exactly what I say. Now, how was the church to evaluate the prophecy, what they were saying? It doesn't really say here. But I would assume it would be things like this. Is it in accord with Jesus Christ crucified? With what we know of the scriptures? Does it lead us to sacrificial love and to service to one another? Now, the elders, as I said, uh, their job was to rebuke and to give instruction in sound doctrine. But if a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged. Notice what Paul is saying here. He's saying that prophets, you have the ability to hold your tongue and to speak in order. See, I think we have this picture that when the Holy Spirit descends upon a church that everybody sort of starts dancing and falling over in the aisles, right? Maybe you've been to a church like that. But the only frenzy and craziness in the church at Corinth was not from the Holy Spirit. It was from people jumping over each other to try to get into the limelight in the church service. Remember, that the Holy Spirit, one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is self-control, right? And if the Holy Spirit is working in his people, most certainly he's not driving them into some sort of frenzy. For the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. And so if you go to a church and it's out of control, something is wrong. The point he's trying to make is that it's not about you. It's about what are your gifts and using them for the benefit of the church. I'm going to bring up two animals and contrast them. One is the peacock and one is the ant. Very interesting. If you've ever seen a peacock, they're beautiful. By the way, peacocks are males, okay? And it's very similar to me courting my wife, you know, wearing, wearing you know. Uh, well, we're not going to talk about that right now. 
Okay, the point is that the job of the peacock is to try to attract others to himself. And he uses what he has in the most spectacular method possible to put himself in the most favorable light. But an ant colony is quite different. It's amazing. They found these super colonies of ants, literally billions of ants, spanning thousands of miles with thousands of queens in different mounds, and yet they all are working in harmony, understanding their role and their job, which is to build up the colony. And each one of those ants have different roles in the colony, whether it's defense, whether it's feeding the queen, whether it's caring for the larva, whether it's exploring, whether it's bringing back food, each takes their place, knowing that it's bigger than themselves, that they have been gifted for the purpose of strengthening and building the body. Are we peacocks or are we ants? The spirit may not be working in the same way that it was working back then because it doesn't have to. But the spirit is working in powerful ways and wants to in each one of our lives. For to each one is given a manifestation of the spirit for the common good. So if you are a Christian, God wants to work in you for the betterment of his people. So how is God calling you to support and to build up the Bible? There are all these lists in the Bible and the New Testament. There's nothing wrong with looking at them, but they're not exhaustive. What is it God is calling me to do now? To be a part? Am I a peacock or am I an ant? This brings me to my second point, who he works through. Now, before I examine 34 and 35, I want to touch on, again, how do we interpret Scripture? In order to interpret Scripture, we must interpret the text in light of its context, right? I can't understand what 1 Corinthians means to me until I understand what it meant to the Corinthians. And additionally, the best interpreter of Scripture is Scripture. What does the rest of the Bible say about this particular passage? If I separate a passage from those two things, I can pretty much make the Bible say anything I want it to. So let's examine verses 34 and 35 that are very controversial. The women should keep silent in churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. So everything that I've been talking about, that Paul just spoke about above, it seems from reading this passage one way, does not apply to women. But we know that is not true, and how do we know that? Because in 1 Corinthians 11.4, just two chapters earlier, Paul says, every man who prays or prophecies with his head covered dishonors his head. And every woman who prays or prophesies in the service with her head uncovered dishonors her head. So women were clearly praying and prophesying. 
Remember, this is the letter of 1 Corinthians. It would be like reading a letter, and one page before, Paul is talking about women praying and prophesying, and how they are, and then the next page, we see women should keep silent in church. Okay? Which one is right? Well, obviously, praying and prophesying is right. The issue with Paul when in 1 Corinthians 11, 4, when women were praying and prophesying, was not that they were doing that, but how they were doing it. They were doing it with their head uncovered. And if you'll remember, uncovering your head publicly was not something you did in that culture. It's actually what prostitutes did. They were taking their freedom in Christ and going too far. But very clearly, Paul is absolutely fine with women praying and prophesying. And indeed, this entire passage that I've been talking about is about the entire church. When you come together, notice in verse 20, 27, if any speak in a tongue, or for you all can prophesy one by one. Praying, singing, prophesying, speaking in tongues, interpreting tongues, weighing prophecy, were all things that women could do in the service. The one thing we see that, remember, Scripture translates Scripture regarding lesson and teaching. Hey, Paul is not saying that everybody's getting up and speaking in the church. He's speaking of those that have either the gift or the office of speaking. It is elders that we see where their qualification was, A, they were able to teach, that they were the ones who were to instruct and interpret sound doctrine. And indeed, in 1 Timothy 5, 17, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. So the only thing that women were not doing in the church was giving the lesson. And keep in mind, it wasn't, uh, although you needed, a male was a, a prerequisite to be an elder, just simply being a male did not qualify you to be an elder. In other words, 99% of the males in the church were not giving a lesson either. So what is the point I'm trying to make? What is it that Paul is talking about? Then? If women can pray and prophesy in the church, and clearly, there are no other restrictions on interpreting prophecy, speaking in tongues, interpreting tongues. Why is he saying for women to keep silent? What he is talking about here is he's talking about the interpretation of prophecy. Notice when he brings up this verse in 29. What was he talking about before he brings up this verse in 29? He's not speaking about uh, a hymn, bringing a hymn, a revelation, a so on. He's actually speaking in verse 26. He's talking about the weighing of what prophets have said. Okay? Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. This is the context in which he's bringing up this issue with women. And so the issue of women and speaking has something to do with weighing and evaluating prophecy. Now, I've already said women can weigh and evaluate prophecy. 
They, uh, so what is the issue here? The issue is not that they are speaking. The issue is how they are speaking. So what does it mean how they are speaking and that they should keep silent? They should be in submission. First of all, we have to ask the question, well, they should be in submission to who? It goes on, verse 35, if there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. So Paul is actually directing this particular comment to wives. The word women, gunaikos, can either be translated women or wives. But why didn't Paul say wives? Well, because he, he knows that everyone who's reading the letter understands what he's talking about because he's addressing a particular issue in the church. They should go home and learn. Well, what does that mean? It's very clear that the place, that the church is the place where they are to learn, right? The husband doesn't have all of the answers. No, he's dealing with how they are responding to weighing prophecy. Remember, the Spirit has been given to all people, and so husbands and wives are translating, are, uh, are examining what is said. But some wives may have a different interpretation about what is said than their husband. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? The Spirit is working in both people. But the way they're going about communicating is bad in that they are publicly embarrassing their husband. Now, not all wives. He's dealing with a specific issue in the church. Now, we have to ask the question, is this because the male has a fragile ego and the wife needs to massage it? Oh, there, there, honey. No, your, your interpretation is right and mine is wrong. No, no, I could never be smart. No, that's not what he's saying. But remember that the husband and wife present a unique picture of Jesus Christ. God uses symbols in their own unique way to showcase Christ to the world. But the husband and wife represent Jesus in their own unique way. In that each one plays the Jesus role, but in a different way. The role of the husband the Jesus role that the husband is to play is the role of Christ's servant leadership for his people. To lay down his life for his wife. To play the role of Jesus, being crucified, sacrificially loving his wife to bless her. And the way he leads is through service. Remember Jesus who sits down and takes off his outer garment and washes his disciples' feet, which they can't believe because that's what a slave does. And when he puts on his clothes, he says, you call me Lord and Master, and rightly so, for that is who I am. But if this is the way I have loved you, this is the way you are to love one another. That is the Jesus role that the husband is to play in servant leadership. And the Jesus role that the wife plays is Jesus' submission to his heavenly Father. Remember that though Jesus the Son was equal to God, he did not consider equality with God something 
to hold on to, but submitted himself to God's call, to God sending him to lay down his life. And he took the nature of a servant. That Jesus didn't have to be first. That the way he honored God was by placing him in a position of honor and respect and listening, even to becoming obedient to death on the cross. Now, to be sure, in the world, this picture of marriage has been marred and, and, and inverted, if you will, through sin. That we see in the world that husbands want to dominate their wives and, and women to disdain their husband's authority, and maybe rightly so. But God calls Christians to be different. The only Bible that many people out there may ever read is your marriage. A picture of Jesus and the church. And the way that some wives are speaking to their husbands while they are both sifting prophecy is distorting this picture. Now how is this playing out? I don't know, it doesn't say. But remember that they are in an honor-shame culture. That's the world that they live in, an honor-shame culture. And the way that wives treat their husbands is a testimony in that culture. Paul actually addressed this earlier, remember in 1 Corinthians 11, when he said, when a woman is praying and prophesying, because that's absolutely fine, he takes it for granted, and when he's uh, taking, uh, when she's doing this uncovered, it is shaming her husband that she should wear this cover. Now you may ask, well, is he picking on women? The answer is, I don't think so. My guess is that probably 80%, 90% of what's being talked about in the entire book of 1 Corinthians is directed at most of the men in the church. But what was considered dishonorable of the conduct of a wife to a husband is very different then than it is today, right? Most, just about everyone here, every woman is in the service with their head uncovered. They are not shaming their husband, right? Because our culture is different. And so Paul is speaking, not in the sense of to the culture, but rather how you are to behave as a godly person in that culture. So how would I correctly translate verse 34 and 35? It would be something like this. If a wife is going to insult her husband while they are both sifting through prophecy, then she should hold her tongue and not speak. It's not a permanent injunction for women to never speak in the service. That's clearly against what Paul is saying. 1 Corinthians 14, 35, if there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Really what he's saying is, it is shameful for a woman to speak to a husband in a way that insults and dishonors him in church. And by the way, it is shameful for a man to speak, a husband to speak about his wife in a way that does not mirror the way Jesus loves his church. Now, why does this matter? Why am I spending all this time talking? Well, one, because this passage has been used and abused to repress the gifts 
of women in the church. Also because the way we treat each other matters. The witness we have to outsiders in the church matters. We have freedoms in the church, but the true definition of freedom is being willing to give up my own for others. So let me try to bring this into our proper context of today. Okay, imagine that my wife and I were in a Bible study, the Bible study after church, and we're looking at a passage. This is not exactly the same as prophecy, but my wife and I were of different opinions on what the passage say, said. And my wife said to me in front of everyone else, you're always getting it wrong. Why are you so stupid? You're supposed to be the spiritual leader of our marriage. You are an embarrassment. How would I feel? If an unbeliever had come to that Bible study, what would they say? But imagine if I said to my wife, based on the interpretation you had, you dumb woman, just keep quiet. You're wasting everyone's time. Don't you know better than to speak up? How would she feel? And what would a non-believer think? I need to wrap this up. But this teaches us a couple of things. The first is the role of women in the church service. Some have had questions. Carlos, why do you have a woman do the call to worship? Why do you have her read scripture? The answer is quite simple. It's biblical. Women have gifts to offer in the ministries of this church. By the way, most ministries are run by women in this church. And women have roles to offer in the church service as well. Whether the call to worship, whether leading worship, could they pray the scriptures? Absolutely. Could they lead confession? Absolutely. Any role that the elders consider that could be done by a non-elder can be done by a man or a woman. And to try to make a case that this should not happen on biblical grounds would be scripturally incorrect. But also, we learn husbands and wives that how we treat each other matters. Husbands, are you demonstrating sacrificial leadership and putting your wives' needs before you? It may not be easy, but that's what God calls us to. Wives, are you honoring your husband and valuing his leadership? It may not be easy, but that's what God is calling you to. God has called each of us to use the gifts that he's given us for building up this church. And so are we doing so? And in a way that honors him, that is the question I leave you with today. Let's close in prayer. God, thank you. Your spirit continues to work through us as we get to be your hands and feet and heart and ministering to one another. Lord, let us not impress anyone beyond the bounds of your scripture, but let us encourage one another and listen and learn from each other. And let us use our gifts not to build ourselves, but rather to build you. And all of this we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.